Amen, amen. Thanks to the four of you for leading us in, in music this morning. Um, you guys, uh, today's chapel speaker is Tiger McLuhan. Uh, Tiger has been involved in student ministry for over 50 years um, as a youth outreach director and associate pastor of youth and family ministries and as an instructor of youth ministry at both Bethel and Luther seminaries. His mission is to help churches, parents, and adults share Jesus to the next generation with clarity and passion. And uh, he is, he's testing that theory that you can't be too old for, for youth ministry by serving as, currently serving as his interim director of student ministry at his home church, um, Lakes Free in, in Lindstrom. Tiger is married to his wife, Sue. He has four grown children and a herd of grandchildren. And before we welcome him out here, I just want to personally mention um, that I was a student at Bethel Seminary um, <clears throat> 20 years ago, and, and Tiger was our, our youth ministry instructor for a lot of the classwork, and, and I'm just thinking about all his years and his legacy of, uh, of pouring into youth pastors, and I know, I know confidently that there are those in the room today, although you might not know his name, you have been impacted indirectly but powerfully by, by the ministry and the work of God through Tiger because he mentored, he discipled, he trained your youth pastor at your home church, um, which is pretty cool. So anyway, would you give a, a warm Northwestern welcome to Tiger McLuhan. Hey. Thanks, buddy. Good morning. It's good to come here this morning. I uh, taught a youth ministry class here a number of years ago and uh, I haven't been on the campus for a while, so it was great to drive on and see your beautiful campus. I, uh, as you said, I've been hanging around the next generation for a long time. Uh, and I always have liked the surprise of being with the next generation. They're, you never quite know what to expect. There's a story of the uh, young girl who was listening to her teacher give a lecture about whales in her class. And the teacher was saying, you don't have to worry about whales when you swim in the ocean, they won't eat you. Uh, sharks you gotta worry about, you gotta worry about stingrays, but don't worry about uh, whales, even though they're big, their throat's small, you can't really eat people, so don't worry about it. And she raised her hand and said, that can't be right, because I learned in Sunday school that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And so I, I, I think you're wrong. And so she's sharing her faith right there in class, right? And a teacher in a public school kind of said, well, we've learned more about the whale and the throat's smaller than we think. Uh, so, uh, they eat fish and plankton, whatever plankton are. So they, they really, it's not big enough to swallow a person. She raised and said, you're wrong. Because my teacher in Sunday school told me that Jonah was swallowed by a whale and I believe what she tells me. So um, you're right and she, she's right and you're wrong. And they're having this conversation and after a little argument, the little girl said, well, I know what I'll do. When I get to heaven, I'm gonna ask Jonah, how did that happen? And the teacher in the public school kind of cynically said, well, what if Jonah went to hell? Without missing a beat, she said, well, then you ask him. <laughs> I've always loved the surprise of being around kids, right? See, folks, you and I live in a distracting world. Uh, staying focused is hard. Maybe it's okay to stay focused here. Some of you are struggling with focus right now. I get it. Um, am I the only one that gets distracted? If I am, I'll just keep going to therapy. But I think a lot of us can focus when we're in the right place and with the Bible in front of us. But when we get into the real world and all the pressures and the distractions, even right now, some of you are distracted in your brain. You're scrolling, you're listening, you're, you're, you're doing the oughta, gotta, shoulda, but it, it's a distracting world. 
Now, I've been hanging around uh, people all my life, leaders and kids who are living in this distracted world. Now, I always have to bring this to prove you that I used to be uncool and relevant. Clearly, I'm the homeless old guy walking around, but uh, I used to be uncool and relevant, so I always bring this picture to prove it, find the cool youth director in that picture. <laughs> I know it takes a moment. I'm in the back, I tell people I didn't know much about Jesus, I just tried to look like him. <laughs> That's how I got started in the basement of the church. I'm sitting here still going, no, which one is he? Uh, now when I'm in a room full of teenagers, I'm the oldest one in the room. And it's probably true today too. It's very depressing. But I do love the chapter that I'm in because I have really cute grandkids. That was pretty wimpy. I'll give you another chance. I have really cute grandkids. <laughs> much better, much better. Um, Hey, I, I've been thinking about a lot of things and one of the things I've been looking at is in the garden. Genesis chapter three, you've heard the story, Garden of Eden. Everything's great. God's given him everything. And yet there was this one little tree that he said, don't eat from that tree, but you can have everything else. And you remember the story? Eve goes over and begins a conversation with this little snake, the cunning little creature it's called. He's a cunning little creature. Now we may be freaked out by snakes, but in that Story. she's not freaked out by the conversation with a snake. That seems normal, abnormal to me. But in this conversation, the snake begins to do what the snake always does is distracts her from what all that God has given her and says, hey, have you not, did he say you couldn't eat from this tree? And right away, she knew the right answer. She said, no, it, it, that's not the right answer. The right answer is we can do all that stuff. God's given us everything. But yeah, this one's off limits. Really? And he begins to distract her from that. Now we know the end of the story, don't we? Eating the apple caused her to get banished, caused all kinds of stuff to happen. I would suggest to you today, however, that all of us have snakes that we're talking to. And my question for you this morning is, have you been talking to any snakes lately? Visual people who hate snakes are not gonna like this, but the issue is she, and it says, it says that the snake said, he showed, him, showed her only what was pleasing to the eye. That's what distractions do. On the front side, there's something pleasing, something attractive, something interesting. But there's always a dark side on the back side. And you and I, I'm just gonna share a few snakes that have been part of my life. I've learned that temptations often won't beat you up. It's not uh, objective, it's not huge. By the way, the snake didn't say, oh, by the way, if you eat this thing, you're gonna be banished and life is gonna be horrible. Never, never says that. Often our greatest struggles are with distorted priorities, lack of clarity as your purpose, slippery moral issues, busyness, and a lack of self-honesty. If you're like me, the issue is focus. So here's some snakes that I've learned that I struggle with just to share with you this morning to get you thinking. The first snake uh, uh, that I wonder about is the snake of comparison. The snake of comparison is that tricky snake that says compare yourself to other people. Yeah, and social, I'm not here to bash, but social media just magnifies this. It's always been a snake, but it's magnified. We compare ourselves to other people. We compare ourselves to speakers that come in here every week and they know the Bible better than us. It sounds like their life is great. It's like when I went to a marriage seminar a few years ago, I thought I'd earn my points with my wife and I signed us up a number of years ago to go to a marriage seminar. I'm thinking I'm gonna be a winner here. I was a loser. The reason is because Mr. and Mrs. Perfect were leading the seminars. You ever been to one of these? You know, a cell, you know, leadership class. And the person who's doing it is like, their life is perfect. Mr. and Mrs. Perfect were leading this marriage seminar is awful. 
You know, they've written a devotional Bible. All their kids were missionaries. They prayed every day. They never went to bed angry because the Bible said don't get, it was like, ew. You know, and they wanted to talk about sex a lot. I was like, don't give me details, you know? And, and everything was great in their marriage. Everything was great in their family. Halfway through the seminar, my wife looked at me and said, I didn't realize what a jerk you were until <laughs> I came here. Holy cow, I wanna go home with him. I mean, it's, everything's better. If you compare yourself to what you don't know about someone else with everything you know about yourself, I guarantee you, you're gonna lose that battle. And that's what social media does. It presents the distance. I have a phrase, everything looks better at a distance. People's lawns, people's marriages, people's personal spiritual lives, people's relationships, it all looks better. We assume there's a ladder out there and someone else is higher up on a ladder. And, what, and the problem is, comparison isn't, we all need heroes that motivate us, but comparison saps the life out of us. And that's a struggle for us. How is comparison robbing you of what God is calling you to be or do? So the first one is snake of comparison. Second one is the snake of activity. Anybody here not busy? It's crazy, isn't it? We're all super busy. Some of you struggled right at the door to go, oh, geez, I really, I can't go in. I gotta do this, I gotta do that. I got, and right now your brain is already on all the stuff you gotta do. Wouldn't life be easier if uh, we had this kind of calendar? Jurassic calendars. <laughs> what are you doing tomorrow? I have to kill something and eat it. After that, I'm totally free. <laughs> then meetings would be fine, everything. Um, but the fact of the matter is the snake of activity steals that from us. It's a battle I've struggled with all my life. I say yes to too many things. It's been a huge battle. And I often will say, who did this to me? Why am I so stressed out? And then I look in the mirror and go, it was me. I listened to the snake. The snake, and I used to say to my wife, it'll be better after the retreat. It'll be better after you know, the conference. It'll be, and she would just finally say to me, don't, don't use that phrase because you're lying to me. Um, and, and that's true. But you know, it's gonna be better after March for me. Um, so I don't know what your signal is. Maybe it's a messy desk. Maybe it's a car that looks like a McDonald's breakthrough. I don't know. But here's what the snake of activity does to us. It focuses on our doing rather than our being. It defines your value by the external stuff you do, not the internal character you're building. It uses your calendar uh, to dictate the value that you bring to the table. And you can become numbers-oriented or progress-oriented or whatever. Remember these things. You're on the front side of this. Bigger is not necessarily better. Faster is not necessarily more effective and more is not necessarily more spiritual. This, the word that some of us need to learn is the word no. No, I can't. No, I shouldn't. No, I, I don't have time. The arch, two quotes have always challenged me. One is the arch enemy of spiritual authenticity is busyness. The arch enemy of spiritual authenticity is busyness. The second one is what of spiritual value, soul value, can be accomplished at Mach 2 speed? And we know the answer to both of those, and yet we, we listen to the snake that says, do it more. The struggle for some of us is if we realize if I keep focusing on busyness, I can avoid myself. If I keep dealing with the pain of others, I may skip over my own pain. If I keep the schedule busy, then I can reduce the incredible power of silence in my life. 
and we try to fill emptiness with activity. The snake tells us that's the answer. Young people, I'll tell you something. I, I have had a place in my ministry where I was most successful by every external category. People liked me, calendar was filled, things were going well, I was being affirmed, and I was at my lowest point spiritually and relationally. I almost lost everything. I almost lost my wife, I almost lost ministry. I almost lost the opportunity for God to use me in leadership because I had listened to the snake that said, do more, do more, and I was crushed inside. Be careful of this snake. We need to figure out what it means to be healthy and act busy at the same time. So that's the second one. Uh, The third one is the snake of what I call casual holiness, religiosity. Uh, This is the snake that says you can sound spiritual without any current reality connected to it. You, let me just suggest something that I think I don't know you, but I think I know you. You go to a Christian school. You and I know how to do this well. We know how to pray on command. We know how to sound spiritual. We've got a couple of Bible verses just in case we can grab a hold of, and that's all good. But the snake of casual holiness tells us that that's all we need. And someone once said this, you can simulate every Christian activity you're asked to do except one, and that's your personal devotion to Jesus. That's the only one you can't fake, but we can fake everything else. And so... uh, uh, it's just kind of this vague religiosity. A friend of mine named Mike wrote a book called uh, Dangerous Wonder, and I want to read some stuff from him that challenges me when I get into casual holiness. He says, how did we end up so comfortable with God? How did our awe of God get reduced to a lukewarm appreciation of God? How did God become a pal instead of a heart-stopping presence? How can we think of Jesus without remembering his ground-shaking, thunder-crashing, stormy exit on the cross? Why, are we continue, why aren't we continually catching our breath and saying, this is no ordinary God? The critical t- issue today is dullness. We have lost our astonishment. The good news is no longer good news. It's okay news. Christianity is no longer life-changing. It's life-enhancing. Jesus doesn't change people into wild-eyed radicals anymore. He changes them into nice people. If Christianity is about being nice, I echo with him and I say, I'm not interested. If being, a, being casual holiness is the goal, I'm not interested. Jesus said, I'm gonna come to give you life, abundant life. Folks, I'm old, but I don't wanna die before I die. I'm tired of watching people die before they die. Religious people, people are sitting in pews, but they're dead inside. They got nothing going. There's no life there. There's religious religiosity. I don't wanna do that. I wanna live life fully. He says, what happened to the radical Christianity, the unnice brand of Christianity that turned the world upside down? What happened to the category-smashing, life-threatening, anti-institutional gospel that spread through the first century like wildfire and was considered by those in power dangerous? I'm ready for Christianity that ruins my life, that captures my heart, makes me uncomfortable. I want to be filled with an astonishment that is so captivating that I'm considered wild and predictable, unpredictable, and, well, dangerous. Yes, I want to be dangerous to a dull and boring religion. I was on a faith that's considered dangerous by a predictable and monotonous culture. That's fighting the battle with a snake of casual holiness. I want to live life above the veneer. Be careful with a snake that says you just can do it all. Just fake it. It's all good. You got it figured out. Um, so that's one. Uh, another one is the snake of keeping silent. This snake says, 
Just don't be honest about what you're really doing. We're out, we tend to be real good in the church about people admitting what we used to struggle with. We love those testimonies. I used to be this person. Now Jesus got a hold of me on this person. But it's another thing to say, I love Jesus and I'm a mess. I'm still struggling. I still don't know the answer to that. Hey, I've been to seminary. I got all the fancy words. Guess what? I'm still confused this side of heaven. Acts 2.12 is a verse I love, which says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does that mean? God showed up and they were like, whoa, that's amazing. I think we should still find amazement. But they also had a great word, second word, confused, perplexed. This side of heaven we see through a glass darkly. I don't think you're ever gonna figure it all out. If you've got God 100% figured out, then the God you're figuring out is way too small. There's confusion. And the snake of keeping silence says, I can't do that. I grew up in an alcoholic family. We learned three rules to survive in that family. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Don't talk about it, it'll never change. Why talk about it? Don't trust people because they're gonna promise they aren't gonna do it and they're gonna do it again tomorrow anyway. So what they say doesn't really matter. So just pretend as if it's not true. And if you're 11 years old, living in chaos, just don't feel those feelings. Some of you grew up with that. You know what it's like to try to not talk, don't trust, don't feel. What that creates is for me, a young leader who had false confidence. People thought I had it all together, but I was faking it all the time. And I kept it all silent. And that was part of almost what killed me. The fatal flaw is that we keep silent. We don't name the issue. Power of temptation and deception is here. We try to hide the ball. You ever try to hide a big beach ball under the water? And you can do it for a while. And then when it pops, it just pops up. That's what most many of us do with the stuff. Just the mistakes we make creates an isolation. Another friend said this, everybody needs at least one person around them who's absolutely, totally unimpressed with who you are. <laughs> they, don't, they don't think you're a big deal, but they love you anyway. Um, and it's, it's part of the deal. We need garden friends. Jesus had garden friends. You remember he invited them in at Garden Gethsemane? They fell asleep on him, but he still invited them in. Who's your garden friend? Who's the one that in your darkest moment you'd invite in and say, I, I don't have this one figured out. I'm praying to God to fix it, change it, protect me, something I don't know the answer. I don't know what to do. Who's the one that you can play, can, can hang in there with that? That's a different kind of thing. The power of keeping silent will kill a lot of us. Uh, another one is the snake of competence. The snake of competence says, only do what you're really good at. Um, we, we often are trained and often the church teaches us to look competent. We compare ourselves to competent people. We put our game face on. We want the best. Yes, we want the best. But competence is sometimes not where God wants us. Sometimes God wants us to take risks and go outside where we can only trust him. I'm learning to understand the ministry of weakness. Learning to understand what that looks like. The problem is sometimes our strength, our confidence, our competence can get in the way of God because we can do it without God. We'd never be that blatant, of course, because we're good Christian people, but we know we can kind of pull it off. We stay within our competence limits and then we limit God. A few years ago, a friend of mine, uh, 20 years ago, uh, my pastor asked me to go on a mission trip to Honduras. And I said, no, because that's not in my area of competence. I don't speak Spanish. I don't like heat. Uh, it's July in Honduras, it's really hot. Uh, this one was working with little, taking college kids, uh, but we were gonna do like VBS and little kids stuff. Uh, I don't do little kids too well. I like middle school and high school kids. I, they're weird enough for me. 
Little kids, you know, that requires creativity and glue and glitter and arts and crafts. I'm not good at any of that. So I was like, no, no children, no Spanish, no heat. No, I don't want to go. Pastor Bob, like God, ignored me, came back a few weeks later and said, I've been thinking about it. I really think you should go. I think you'd be really good. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that affirmation, Bob. But no, I, I, no, no, no. And then he came back a week or so later. He said, I've been, he tried this. And he, this is what church people do. He said, I've been praying about a tiger and uh, God told me that you should come on the trip with me. <laughs> I said, don't play that card, Bob. Um, I prayed about it and God told me I didn't have to go which was a lie. I hadn't prayed about it yet. Now I had to pray about it. So now I'm praying about it. And then I played my last card, which was I have a heart condition. And I played that card. Bob knows all about it. And I said, you know, with a heart condition, my doctor said I probably shouldn't go to Honduras. And so I don't think so. Thank you for asking me, but no. And then he said, well, maybe we'll just pray that God will protect you. Oh, don't do that to me. (laughs) Got all through my excuses. And I went to Honduras and uh, Nicole Perez changed my life. I don't know Spanish, I'm terrible in heat, I worried about my heart, um, and I'm not creative, but she's had in my lap every session, and she would talk to me in Spanish, and I'd say, no le entiendo, which means I don't understand, and she would yell at me. (laughs) She thought volume would teach me Spanish. So we had this non-conversation conversation every session, and this is on the way to the airport. She was there, and she said lots to me in Spanish. I said, no le entiendo. Kissed her on the cheek, tapped her on the head, said, Dios le bendiga, which I learned means God bless you. She said lots of stuff, kissed me on the cheek, hugged me. I set her down. She cut in line. She came over here, pulled my pants leg. I went like this, picked her up. I said, Dios le bendiga, kissed me on the cheek, kissed her on the forehead, put her down, cut in line, put it up, kissed me. About the sixth time, I was a mess. And I looked at my pastor, and I held Nicole out, and I said, you have ruined my life. Look at this. I can't just walk away from that. Are you kidding me? Means I have to go back every year and see how she's doing. And Bob ruined my life, just like Jesus wants to ruin my life. He wants to get me out of my comfort zone. And so a few years ago, I went back and 19-year-old Nicole found me. And when she said through a translator, I thank God for you. You changed my life by coming down to Honduras. I said to her, you got that all wrong, Nicole. You changed my life. Because through you, I trusted God in a way I never trusted God before. And that girl, we sponsored a program, got her through school. We still stay in contact. Nicole Perez changed my life. But the reason Nicole Perez changed my life is because Bob, like God, kept saying, you should do this outside of your competence. If you only stay in your comfort zone, kids, you will get casual holiness and nothing else. Last couple is a snake of control. Um, I know a few people have control issues. I don't know if you're one of them, but I've met a few. Um, and, and the snake of control says, you know, we gotta only do stuff when we can control it. Two leadership rules I teach in all my classes. Number one leadership rules, it's not about you. It's a song we sang, just, just, just trust God. Get it? We, we say that, right? It's not about you. Trust God. It's true. Believe it with 100%. Take a breath, lighten up. Some of us are way too stressed out because we're trying to control everything. We keep telling God what to do to control the outcome because we want to manage the outcome. And God is saying, I want to manage your character. I want to manage your life. I want you to be able to trust me with everything. It's not about you. Get it? Here's the second leadership rule. You got to believe this 100%. Uh, It's about you. (laughs) 
You figure out how to put those two together. I've been trying to figure this out for 40 some years. Guess what? He uses us. He, he doesn't need us, but he uses us. He wants to work with us and through us. And it's not about controlling it. Story of the farmer whose friend and he was looking at his friend, field and his friend said, look at this amazing, what God's creation, isn't it beautiful? And the farmer said, yeah, but you should have seen it when only God had it. It's a mess sometimes. We need to be involved in this. But control is when we think it's all about us. God is in charge, but wants us to be engaged. Um, so two more quick before we go. One is the snake of formulas. Another snake, remember this crafty snake, says, let's make a formula that makes it work. All Christians look like this, evangelism looks like this, discipleship looks like this, good churches look like this. This is, what, this is how you do it. Church growth looks like this. But sometimes you find that life is too messy for that. And we don't always work with this. Be careful as snake. It may take your vision away for trying something new. It may steal your wonder and joy of not knowing what the heck you're doing. And that's part of the journey. The snake of formula wants us to believe that all Christians are the same. We all follow the same formula. Conflict can be avoiding, avoided if we just do the right thing. I mean, in a little ministry I started a few years ago, and this is the word we use a lot that we don't do enough of in the church. It's called experimenting. I've been experimenting all the time. I sell my board. I'm gonna try an idea. I don't know if it's gonna work, but let's give it a run at it and see what happens. I love that. It's outside the formula. And in that process, we're seeing God work in ways that wouldn't work through the formula. And my last one before we go, and this is a big one, is be careful of the snake of significance. It's a tricky one that can steal the life out of most of us. We've been deluded into believing that significance looks like it's significant. That it, it, it's a big deal. If, that if God is at work, it's gonna look huge. Sometimes, folks, I tell you, I've lived this a long time, sometimes it's in the one that's significant. It's in the small moment that God shows up. It isn't in the big. It isn't in the miracle stories that much as I love to hear those. It's in the boringly ordinary life that you live and that I live. Some of you are, are awesome and tremendous. God bless you. The rest of us resent you. Because the rest of us in this room are boringly ordinary. And that's who God wants to work with. God has worked with messy, ordinary people since the beginning of time. What does that look like if you listen to the snake of, of uh, significance? Those are just a few of the snakes that I've wrestled with over my life. Wonder if any of them are snakes you're listening to. Remember, when it says in Hebrews, throw off everything that hinders and the sin so easily entangles. Easily, the phrase, it's so easily we listen to the snake. So quickly the snake talks to us. We can get hindered and entangled before we know it and soon a conversation with a snake is an apple we can't stop eating. Try to see past the conversation with a snake to the tree of life. He wants to get you distracted. I don't know what your distractions are, but see if God can keep us focused, not right now, but all the rest of this day when we walk out that door into the busy world you live in the rest of this week. What would that look like in Jesus' name? Let's pray. God, thank you for an opportunity to be together. Help us to fight through religiosity and casual holiness to listen to your voice and to wonder what you might wanna do with a boringly ordinary life like mine when we live our regular life. Help us to be amazed by your presence, confused by what it means, and never be alone as we turn to one another and ask, what does that mean? Give us confidence in who you are 
and be willing to be stretched into our incompetence. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for your attention. God bless you.